Yeah, we could have we could have used a few more seconds, guys. We'll, we'll work on that. <laughs> Woo. But anyway, uh, hey, it's good to see everybody in the house of the Lord today, and uh, hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Uh, now that we're we've eaten all good, and we're also thankful for all that we've we've eaten and all that is within us. What's that? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within us. That's what it is, and uh, so we are thankful for that. And but it's still you know Thanksgiving weekend, and we still thankful for all the things that God has done for us. And uh, if you think about it, but if you really think about it, none of it, none of it is anything that we've done. It's everything is what He's done. And I mean everything, everything he's done for us. So, uh, but I wanted to just take this time. This is different. We're, we're just kind of letting our hair down a little bit this morning. We're going to teach you a song, okay? Uh, it's talking about all my boast is in Jesus. All our hope is in him. Amen? That's, uh, I mean, everything, everything that we have, everything that, that we are is all because of him. And so we're going to sing a song. We want you to sing along with us. It's very important that you learn this song this morning, Okay? Because later on, we're going to do it again, all right? And, uh, and so we need you to learn it. So anyway, I'm going to let you just remain seated. I want you know, just listen to the choir, follow along with the choir, and learn this song here. And then the next time we sing, we'll all stand up, and we're just going to sing about all of our boasts is in Jesus. Hold on. Okay. Yeah. It was just a lot of running up here. Okay. All my boast is in Jesus. Okay. Let's, uh, let's, let's sing this together. Okay. What wonder of wonders, what love is this that Christ would die for me? His goodness, his merit, his righteousness, the sinner's own. Oh, foolish pride, be crucified, go away. 
get that one? You got that? You got down pat now. Oh, you're good. Okay. Melinda come and make an announcement. Oh, I always forget this thing. Thank you. Okay, good. Good morning. <laughs> good to see everyone. I trust that you had a, a great Thanksgiving and um, a good meal and uh, some enjoyed football, maybe not all the games, but uh, I'm going to be careful what I say about that this morning. <laughs> but it's really good to see everybody. I was thinking this week though about how during COVID we should never forget, man, we just should never forget Thad preaching here with the Muppets on the front row. You remember, I mean, I mean, the church is empty. We got our chairs scattered out six feet apart. And uh, so anytime we have something to be thankful for, and I think of my church, I think about that preaching to the Muppets. And I'm so glad to see human faces right here this morning. We have so much to be thankful for. And we forget so easily in our self-absorbed world that we live in, we just forget so much. I thought about the word thankfulness this week, and I looked it up in Vines. And, and the root of the word thankfulness, gratefulness, all of that is charis. It's grace. It's grace. So everything we should be thankful for comes from God's grace. Everything. All the blessings in life, our family, our country, our church, our body, our salvation, everything comes through the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace. So we need to rejoice in that. I trust today and this week, we just won't have an attitude of gratitude and thanks once a year, but it would permeate our lives continually and, and push back on the world. It's hard to live in the world and not be of the world, isn't it? And so it pulls at us so much. Uh, the world of advertisement, the world of sports, the world of Disney. You know, you can just go in all the different worlds that pull at us every day. The world of success. And so, you know, we just need to be thankful in attitude. Paul said, be, give thanks in everything. Always give thanks. <laughs> so that's, the, that's the, the challenge for this morning, I think, for me. But uh, Melinda's going to come and make a brief announcement about a couple of items, and then I'll come back up and read Scripture this morning. Good morning. Amen. Thankfulness brings joy. It's not reversed. It's not joy that brings thankfulness. Thankfulness brings joy. So that's a good message this, uh, just in itself. Uh, I have a couple of announcements. Uh, I know everyone is concerned about our young generation. I've never known a generation to be bombarded with untruths as much as this one. But thankfully, there is something that we can do about it. We can teach them the truth in our homes, and we can actually teach the truth in public schools. That's right, in public schools. Uh, for 13 years, I've been involved with a ministry called Discovery Clubs. And with the parents' permission, kids stay for an hour after school, and we teach them the Bible. We don't just teach random Bible stories. This is an awesome curriculum. It is based on the curriculum that was developed by New Tribes Mission, the Chronological Approach to the Gospel, and it's been um, made for children, and we get, give them an overview of the Bible from Genesis all the way through Revelation. We teach them who God is, what is sin, why we're separated from God by our sin, what God's plan is from the beginning all through the different Bible stories. This is God's plan, how he is going to redeem us, how he did redeem us, what are his plans for the future, how we can live for him. This is an awesome curriculum. And I often tell my students, when you get through with this curriculum, when you get through with the Discovery Clubs this year, you will know more about the Bible than most of the world does. 
So it is an awesome opportunity. Uh, schools are asking for us to come into it. Another school, Southeastern, that's on uh, Highway 75 towards Allgood, they have asked us to come. Principals want us there. They see a difference in the kids after we've been there a while. And uh, so uh, we need volunteers. You don't have to be one that teaches. Uh, you can uh, be, we need volunteers that will uh, hand out things and take role and support the teacher. And so if you would like, and we need men too, guys, if y'all have time, we need men too. And um, so we, because we have a lot of boys in the class and they, they need father figures. So um, if anybody would like to participate and volunteer for that, see me or Susan Reed, it only takes a couple of hours of training and then it's only a couple of hours once a week. They have it all during the week at different days of the week at different schools. Um, I'm teaching at, uh, I have been, for 13 years, I taught at um, Chalkville, and now I'm at um, um, Kermit Johnson. So there are schools uh, all over, and probably one close to you. So if you want to uh, participate in that, just let me know. The other announcement, I did mention that awesome curriculum. That was the curriculum that we used in Uganda this year when the team went to Uganda to the children's home. That's the curriculum that we took with us that Teresa taught, and it's the curriculum that we left with them so they can further teach it. And uh, we had some disturbing news last week. Um, the children's well collapsed. And one of the things that these kids were so excited about, that's a picture right there of the children trekking through the tall grass to go, you'll see another picture, to go to this muddy puddle to get water now. And that's all they've got. And I know that we're probably going to suffer some illnesses from them having to drink this water. One of the main things that these kids were excited about when they came to this uh, home was having access to a well water. They could just turn it on and wash their hands and drink and, and take a bath. It was just amazing to them. The last two children that we took into this home were two little boys, two little brothers that were age six and eight that had been living for weeks alone in a hut. Their mother had died. Their father was mentally ill and just roamed around the village. And someone contacted the home and said, can you take them in? And they said, yes, it's the last two places. Our boys' uh, dormitory is full now. But to see the, the looks on the kids' faces when they come in and after they've been there a while in a place of security where they get to eat every day, and uh, where they're secure with people that love them. It's an amazing thing. And one of the things they were most grateful for was that clean water. The, uh, the well collapsed in on itself. It cannot be repaired. We're going to have to move it. It's going to be quite expensive to move it to another area, probably at least ten, maybe more, $1,000 to get it done. So if you would like to participate in helping that, you can uh, make a check out to Hope for Uganda and give it to me and I'll get it to them. Or you can, they have really made it easy to donate to, to this uh, children's home. You can give by Venmo or PayPal. They've got all kinds of ways you can give. And one of the other things is that we have never had consistent provision for the children. The home has received some large donations that enabled them to buy the land and build the dormitories and dig the well the first time. But we have never had consistent financial assistance for the kids. So, uh, in fact, we have lost a few sponsors lately. I know the economy has worsened, and some people that are on limited income have had to drop their sponsorship for the children. So, 
Um, if you would like to take up a sponsorship for one of the children, we would love for you to do that. It was, it's um, cost about approximately $50 a month per child to provide for all their food, their clothing, and send them to school. And I know that $50 a month is pretty steep, so we take multiple um, donors for each child. So uh, if y'all would like to participate in that, please let me know, and um, I can get all the addresses to you and um, uh, that you can send in a check or the information where you can send it in on Venmo or whatever you like. But uh, keep that in uh, mind, and thank you so much for your attention and time. I was sitting there thinking back about a long time ago, 1980. From 78 to 80, Melinda and I went to New Tries Bible Institute, and you know we're in missionary training. And I remember sitting in class one time, and a guy says, um, "What make? Wh why were you born in America? Why weren't you born in Africa? Have you ever thought about that? <laughs> Has anybody ever? I mean, wh why am I so blessed to be here in this country with these freedoms?" I was praying this morning with our fifth and sixth grade, and I just said, "Lord, you know, we're able to open your word freely." There are millions of Christians. There are 100 million Chinese that have to hide to open your word. <laughs> so why me? So we need to consider that. Why are we so blessed? And they're out taking buckets to mud holes, you know. So the Bible is full of compassion for those type people <laughs> as well as others. So we're going to uh, look at our scripture in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 this morning. If you'll stand with me, we're going to read, uh, actually start in verse, in uh, chapter uh, Three. We're going to read verse uh, chapter four, but as I was asked to read this, I was thinking, I wonder why Paul goes into this whole thing of holiness, and then he couples it with the Lord's return. And so I had to look at the context. It's all about context. And I look back, and so I told Ben I'd like to start in um, chapter three, chapter three, in verse eleven. If my phone doesn't act up, because I'm trying to be cool and use my phone like the young people. Let's read uh, 3.11 through 4 because it talks about holiness and the object of holiness is Christ and being with Christ. So let's see how he sets it up. Now, may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people just as we also do for you so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us an instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification." That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warn you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now, as to uh, the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. 
For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your own hands, just as we commanded you, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. But we do not want you to be uninformed, I think King James says ignorant, (laughs) brethren, about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest of who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will have seen from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we always be with the Lord. And then how he closes it. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. It's a great comfort, isn't it? And it's a great motivation for us to live heavenly now. (laughs) He's coming, and we're going to stand before him at the Bema seat. Not for condemnation, but for judgment of our works. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for the the promises of your word, the promises of your return, the promises that the Holy Spirit is now living in us. If we know you're a Savior, you didn't tell us just to go live the Christian life. Here, you're on your own. No, you gave us yourself to live in us, to console and comfort and to convict and to lead, guide, and direct us. So we're so thankful this morning for the person of the Holy Spirit. So many times, Lord, I think of the Holy Spirit as an it. (laughs) No, no, the person of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for living in us. And, 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 Lord, just thank you for the drawing of your, of your spirit. Thank you for the promises of your word. You tell us your word will live and abide forever. Heaven and earth, it will go away one day. But your word is eternal. will live and abide forever. Father, may we be thankful in all things. May we honor you in our life daily. May this worship time today please you. And may we honor you through this time of song and, and through the word. And we just commit it all to you, Lord. Thank you for the freedom to worship you. Thank you for the freedom spiritually that we have because you told us, Lord, that if you set us free, we are free indeed, and we are free, Lord, and we thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's remain standing and let's sing, We Are So Blessed. Need a little monitor on the piano, please. There we go. We are so blessed by the gifts from your hand. I just can't understand why you've loved us so much. We are so blessed. We just can't
you see. We do. I think that nothing can draw attention to what the Lord has done for us here at Grace and in our community than what we saw just a few minutes ago when we see how much of the rest of the world lives. And sometimes we forget about it, especially we get this time of the year when we're out buying and we're doing all this, this, these things and we're just having a wonderful time celebrating and everything. And we forget about all the places in this world where they have nothing like that. Those are God's people too. They're God's children just as well. He created every single one of those children that we saw. He knows every one of them by name. He knows them intimately. And he loves them just like he loves us. Sometimes we think that maybe God loves us a little bit more because we have a little bit more. But that's not necessarily so. But anyway, but that's the reason why we need to look at things like that. And we need to say, oh, Lord, as David said, why me? Why am I born in Birmingham, Alabama or in the United States of America? Why do I get to celebrate all these things? Why do I have a, the privilege and the honor to be able to come together in a nice place like this and worship you? Why do, why do I get to and these people have to struggle? Well, that's what the Lord has. He's got, he's got that all in his plan. He's working it, and we don't have to worry about it. But we have to do our part, and we need to be one thing, have a, as I say, the attitude of gratitude through everything that happens in our life. Even when things don't look up, things are not the way they're supposed to be. We need to still be grateful for all that he's done for us because he still far surpasses anything that this world has to offer. Well, that's what this song, the choir, is going to sing. It's talking about we give thanks for all these things. And let's uh, just listen to the words of the choir as they sing.
Dear Father, we offer a prayer of thanksgiving to you, and we are grateful um, for, as the, as the uh, song says, we, we consecrate ourselves to you uh, and give thanks for all these things. We are grateful for the, a holiday that we can celebrate every year that reminds us to give thanks um, not only to those around us, um, but to you. God, we are thankful for your holiness, your grace, your mercy, your peace, your joy. Um, and at this time of year, we think so much about family and friends, um, and we are grateful for that time we get to spend with them. But Lord, we are even more grateful um, for your Holy Spirit uh, and for the guidance that he gives us every single day of our lives. We are thankful for your creation. We're thankful for fall in Alabama, the beauty that you provide for us each and every day. We are thankful for your grace uh, to provide the gospel. Lord, we're thankful for your death, your burial, your resurrection. Lord, we, we are so looking forward uh, to the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we are grateful that one day we will get to spend um, the remainder of our days in a new body and a new life uh, in that coming kingdom. Thank you, Lord, again for all of these things, for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, good morning. So yesterday at 5.58, I looked up a word in Webster's Dictionary. I looked up the word luck. <laughs> Next to it was 4th and 31. Wow. What do you even say about things like that? You just don't, right? You just don't talk about it. It's not good to talk about it. All right. In 1965. Hi, now, Van. I'm your assistant, here to help you throughout your day. Here are some things you can try saying to get started. Wow. <laughs> it said, hello, Van. Let me try this again. In 1965, that's a couple of years ago, during the Rolling Stones' fourth tour of the United States, guitarist Keith Richards suddenly sat up in bed one night at the Harrison Hotel in Clearwater, Florida, turned on a tape recorder, and played what Newsweek magazine would later call five, five notes that changed the world. It's the introduction to what would become the band's first number one hit in the United States and eventually land as the number one song on VHS's, VH1's excuse me, 100 Greatest Rock and Roll Songs of All Time. I can't get no... Come on, don't pretend you don't know it. I can't get no. 
Now, young people, you might have to look that up. Maybe you can look it up right now while you're sitting there. But it was the song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Did you know that that song was written as a commentary on American society? Did you know that? I did not know that until I read the story. But part of that song goes like this. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try. I can't get no, I can't get no. And you fill it in, I can't get no satisfaction. How many people in this world are looking to be satisfied? I'd say a whole bunch of people. Even the ones that are in this room, we want satisfaction. It's interesting that there are passages of Scripture that I think are designed to point us toward the one and only person. Now listen to this. The one and only person that can bring us true satisfaction. How does that sound? So I want you to take your Bibles and go with me to one of those passages. I have entitled this message... Satisfaction's formula. I don't know how that hits you, but it hit me, so I wrote it down. Satisfaction's formula. What's the formula for satisfaction according to the psalmist? It's interesting enough, this particular psalm comes at the end of a section of psalms where the focal point is on giving thanks or being thankful. In fact, you'll note in some of your Bibles it might have Psalm 100, a psalm for thanksgiving. Um, What is so awesome about the psalm is the writer of the psalm is giving to Israel. Now, we need to keep this in context, okay? He's giving to Israel the formula for their own satisfaction, how they would be satisfied in their life. So we need to think of it in that way first. That this was a formula given to Israel on how they could be satisfied or find satisfaction. And what you're going to note as we go through this particular psalm is at the end of everything, it's the Lord. (laughs) I'm going to say that again. What you're going to find is at the end of all of this that's said about finding satisfaction, at the end of it, it's just the Lord. Is that okay? It needed to be for Israel, and I believe it needs to be for us, that satisfaction is found in the person of the Lord. That's what the author is trying, I believe, to communicate to Israel, that satisfaction comes In knowing the Lord, satisfaction comes in relationship with the Lord. Satisfaction comes in all types of ways as it relates to the Lord. And that's our focal point of this morning. John Piper. Don't you like you just touch that and that baby comes right up there. John Piper said this about 
satisfaction. He says, the Lord is infinitely valuable and satisfying. We need to think about that for just a moment. The Lord is infinitely valuable and satisfying. So it's not a thing that's the most satisfying. It's a person. (laughs) You like that? And it's not your wife or your husband. It's not your children or your grandchildren, Israel. The greatest satisfaction that you have is in the Lord. It's him. Piper goes on to say, in fact, he is so satisfying that his people don't need the fleeting pleasure of sin in order to be content. And by the way, when this psalm was written, guess what there was? Sin. Sin's been around since the garden. So sin is part of the problem for us as we think about satisfaction because, believe it or not, at times we're prone toward the fleeting satisfaction of sin, which is fleeting when you think about it. And so John Piper, I think, has an excellent quote for us to consider as we think about what is satisfying. So just for us today, all right, for this audience, what brings you satisfaction? What brings you satisfaction? Well, people are satisfied in their jobs, They're satisfied in their homes. They're satisfied in their children and in their grandchildren. And in all of those things, there's not perfection. You ever thought about that? Your children are not perfect. Your wife's not perfect. Your husband's not perfect. The Lord God is perfect. Why in the world do people spend their whole lives trying to be satisfied in things that just are not perfect? <laughs> you ever thought about that? Because I've been the one, one of the ones that has tried to find satisfaction in all types of things. But at the end of the day, and you know what's so good about the Lord? He reminds me, hey, Thad. Hey, buddy, listen to me. I'm the only one that truly satisfies. Completely. Right? Without that mark of sin, I'm the one that satisfies. Well, I want to try something this morning. And so I'm going to ask you to do something that comes easy for folks. Be patient. I'm going to try to use this stylus that I have. I didn't fill in all these notes for you guys. I thought I'm just going to write and just see how that goes. But in this particular psalm, we want to read it, and then I want to go over what are seven imperatives. It's very interesting that in the Hebrew language, these are imperatives that the psalmist gives to the original readers, which would have been Israel. Okay, that's very important to keep in mind. He says, shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. 
For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. And his faithfulness to all generations. How many times have you read that psalm? Now, if, if you were to make a list of the most popular psalms, this would be one of them. And, you know, there's a, actually a section in here that would be the most popular of the psalm. Did you know that? It's, in fact, it's repeated a lot by folks. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Well, there's a lot of covenant language in that for Israel. You need to understand that so that when, when they're getting a hold of this, this was very satisfying for them because God had set them apart. Does that make sense? So you hear that particular phrase echoed over and over again in our culture. We are his people in the sheep of his pasture. But there's an original context to that. Does that make sense? Because the shepherding image is in the New Testament as well. But it's first for Israel. Is that okay with you? And if it's not, it's okay anyway. Because that's the way it is. There's shepherding imagery in the New Testament as it relates to the church and God's people, the church. But it first starts with Israel. How come when people approach the Bible, they forget Israel? I <laughs> did you hear that comment? I don't know how they do that. I don't know how we do that. It's not wrong to study this and go, okay, what can we learn from what God told Israel? But when it says we are his people and the sheep of his pasture, in this context, that's speaking of Israel, the nation of Israel, God's people. So if you take all the different Psalms and you boil them down, this is one of the most popular, and that's probably one of the biggest quotes that I've heard over my years as a Christian, which it's true that I belong to the Lord and I am one of His, but I hope you understand what I'm saying in its original context, this concerns Israel. There are seven different commands in order that Israel would be satisfied in the Lord. It's interesting because He puts them in the form of commands. The first one is shout. All right, shout. You see that? In verse 1, it says, shout joyfully to the Lord. So in your notes, I have their meaning. The word shout, what does it mean? Well, the word shout literally means this. Oh, my goodness. The word shout, isn't this a pretty cool little thing? Means literally to, to oh, my goodness, to blow a horn. That's what it means. That's the imagery. That's the picture. To blow a horn. Right? The picture is here to raise your voice. That's the idea. That's the meaning behind the word um, shout. It means to raise your voice, to blow a horn. If you were to blow a horn, what horn would you pick? The trumpet, right? How many of you have ever played the trumpet? You played the trumpet? Wow. Do that again. I need to see a couple of you after the service. I always wanted to play the trumpet. My lips were too big, so I had, to, I had to play the trombone, right? I couldn't get my lips to get as tight as you had to get for the trumpet. But when you think about blowing a horn, we think about the trumpet. Well, that's the picture here. What's interesting is how it was used in the context in that culture. To blow a horn, 
was to blow a horn at times in the presence of a king. Okay, that would be done. If there was a battle and there was victory, there would be a blowing of a horn. Also, when a, a new king was put in, there was a celebration right, that would take place. And blowing of horns was very common in order to celebrate. You see where the author is going with this? What better one to shout to, to blow a trumpet to, to make a loud noise to, than the Lord? Right? So, isn't that nice how it just disappeared? Here's the expectation that God had for Israel. The expectation was that they would make a loud noise to him. That's good stuff, isn't it? That they would make a loud noise to him, and he tells them the attitude that they were to have. Notice it says, verse 1, Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Right? What's the attitude that they're to have? They're to make, what? A joyful shout. It was to be a joyful shout. And so, when we think about what the psalmist is saying to Israel, he's saying, listen, as God's people... You are to shout joyfully to the Lord. There was a lot of shouting, if we take it to today, there was a lot of shouting going on yesterday afternoon. I'm quite certain of that. There was a noise being made toward televisions yesterday, when you think about it. How crazy is that? But it's true, I do it. Right? I shout at times. It's done no good for me to shout at my Razorbacks this year. They're just absolutely awful. But when we think about shouting... It's not something that we can't picture. I hope this comes out right. Sometimes church services seem like funerals. I don't mean that in an ugly manner. And I'm not saying there aren't times for reflective songs. Or pastors who are reading verses of scripture that there's not time for a serious note but you can be serious and shout to the lord can't you Amen. i think that one of the things that precludes that is people people judging people you know the bible tells us that that we're to have a right heart before the Lord when we come to worship, right? And so the issue of the heart is an issue between a person and the Lord. And Paul points out in 1 Corinthians that everything's to be done decently and in order. And I'm not saying we run around the sanctuary. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that when we worship the Lord, it's okay to say, Lord, I love you. Is that Okay. think it's okay well that's the idea that's what the instruction was to Israel the Lord expected them to raise their voice to him in praise all right well so not only were they to shout celebrating joyfully but then it says verse 2 look at verse 2 serve the Lord with gladness now this is an interesting Hebrew word the word here means to labor, labor, 
to exhaustion. It means to serve to exhaustion. That was the idea of the word serve there. It means to labor for the Lord. Did you know that laboring for the Lord is a form of worship? Did you know that? That's what the Bible tells us. The Bible says laboring for the Lord is a form of worship. It says it here in Psalm 100. Um, The expectation of the psalmist, as he writes here, is that they were to serve the Lord with gladness. They were to labor to the point of exhaustion for the Lord. Listen to this. Celebrating... Done all right, good. Celebrating, all right, that's one of the words, or being festive. That's the idea. That's what the Lord was saying to Israel. Hey, Israel, shout joyfully to me. Secondly, serve me with gladness, right? There is to be a celebratory or festive attitude that you're to have, Israel, when you serve me to the point of exhaustion. That was the idea of the text. Well, I like what Billy Graham says about this particular uh, point. He says, take your eyes, and this is how we do that. So he's making application here for us. Take your eyes and your ears and your hands and your feet and your thoughts and your heart. Give them, he says, completely and unreservedly to the Lord. Is that serving him? Answer, it is. That is the meaning of serving him. In fact, there's a New Testament uh, passage, and I'll just read it. You know it, but I want to make sure that we understand it in its context. If you go back to Romans, well, I guess you might want to turn there. Romans chapter 12. Let me just show you this. We have time. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. All right, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Here's the New Testament equivalent of what the psalmist is saying to Israel about serving the Lord. Because serving the Lord, keep this in mind, is a form of worship. All right? In Romans, in the book of Romans, as you come to the end of chapter 8, there, there's just a, I mean, verse after verse after verse of just depth as it relates to the victory, the blessings that we have in the Lord. And you go through that at the end of chapter 8. He says, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. And then Paul says, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That sound good? Sounds real good. But then there's a parenthesis in Romans. All right, a parenthetical uh, portion of Scripture where Paul, who was an Israelite, took time to remind his people that the Lord had not forgotten them. Right? And so... If you take that parenthesis and put it around chapters 9 through 11, then you read the end of chapter 8. You could actually read the end of chapter 8 and go to chapter 12, verse 1. Right? 
So if we read, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all those things that he had just told them about their wonderful salvation, he says all those things. And with all that in mind, Paul says, chapter 12, verse 1, therefore. Like, guys, you have to get this. This is a really critical point. A really critical junction in, in, uh, in, in Paul's writings. He says, therefore I urge you. That word urge is beg. I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a what? Living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Oh. That sounds good, does it not? That's a New Testament equivalent, I believe, to what the psalmist is saying here in Psalm 100. We are, listen, we worship the Lord. This is how it looks. We worship the Lord by placing our lives on the altar. We, we give our lives to Him. It's, Lord, it is, this is not my life. You have blessed me with such a great salvation. What more could I do, Lord than to serve you, to hand over my life to you, and do whatever it is you want me to do. That is the spiritual service of worship. So when you think about what Billy Graham wrote here, take your eyes, your ears, your hands, your feet, and your thoughts and your hearts, give them completely and unreservedly to the Lord. (laughs) That's what the psalmist is saying to Israel. Serve the Lord. Give him all of yourself, right, with gladness, being festive. I listen, there's, there's parades this time of year, right? I don't understand all, but there's parades. You have your Thanksgiving parade, Christmas parades, New Year's parades. So we understand this festive culture. But what better thing to do than for us to walk down the street blowing our horn saying, praise ye the Lord, right? Lord, I serve you. You got my life. This is not about what I want. It's not about the money in the bank. It's not about the houses and the cars. It's just about you. Well, Israel was to serve the Lord with gladness. Well, then notice the third instruction comes from verse 2 as well. He says, come before him with joyful singing. This is pretty interesting, this little phrase here. It means to come before his face. Come before his face. Wow. That's what the phrase means. Come before him. Come before his presence is another word that could be used there. Come before his presence. Israel was to come before the presence of the Lord. They were to bow to him. Come before him, the psalmist says. How were they to come? They were to come with joyful. They were to come with him to him with joyful singing. So I was reading a little bit on this. Do you know what the expectation of the Lord was for all his people? 
that they would all come singing joyfully. This is not a select few. He's not saying, hey, Israel minus you 50 or you 100. He's saying to Israel, all of you come before me with joyful singing. How many of you like to sing? That's not too many. I need to see some hands. You like to sing. Lift them straight up in the air. You love singing. So there's some that don't. How many of you don't sing when you're in a worship service? Difficult. Well, just from what I can tell from the Bible, as it related to Israel, God's mandate was that they were to come before his presence, all of them singing joyfully. Every single one. When I think about that picture, I think about the Exodus. And after the Exodus, in Exodus 15, we have recorded a song, a celebratory song. And all of Israel sang, and you would too. Sometimes, um, I like to sing, but sometimes I just like to sing in my heart. Does that make sense? So, like, it's not necessarily outward. So, singing doesn't have to necessarily be outward, I don't think. It can be inward, where I'm singing. But, you know, the only requirement I can see is that we're to make a joyful noise. Kind of noise. Joyful. Um... I'm trying something right now that that, um, it's challenging me. I'm singing in the choir to prepare for the Christmas musical. And so you will see me up there. I'm glad I said that because it won't be a surprise. You won't be your mouth wide open the whole time. But I'm going to sing. And part of the reason, there are two reasons I wanted to do it. Number one, I like to sing. Now, I don't know what part, you know, when they start doing all those parts, I don't like that part. I, I like when we're all in unison. Now, when we're all in unison on a Sunday afternoon, man, that sounds great. But then when we get to those parts, it's like, whoa, that's really difficult. Because I fit into the bass part. I don't know how the tenors even sing that high. But I'm probably more of a baritone. But when I'm singing, I have to sing those bass notes. And man, when I'm hearing myself, it's like, yeah, it's a joyful noise. (laughs) But part of the reason I'm singing is not only because I enjoy singing, but obviously I love the Lord. But I've grown to have a greater appreciation for those guys up here. I mean, they're really good at what they do. I mean, there's one guy that sits next to me. I won't mention his name, but he sits next to me. He gets every note. I'm like, thank you, Lord, because come December 17th, it won't matter if I'm on or not. And if you guys see my mouth moving, and I, it looks like, is that singing mashed potatoes? That's exactly what he's doing, okay? But think about this. The requirement for Israel was, hey, sing to me. And you can't tell me that some of you might not be the Rolling Stones that you're listening to, <laughs> but I'm quite certain that Many of you probably sing alone when you're driving somewhere or singing alone when you're in your house. 
and no one can hear you. Have you ever been surprised by somebody that showed up you weren't expecting, right? Not necessarily in a car, obviously, but you're singing somewhere and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, I didn't mean for you to hear that. Well, the Lord says to Israel, come before me, right, singing with joy. Well, a couple things I would want to remind you about in this particular point is that um, it's about the message of the song more than it is about the rhythm. Is that okay to say that? Like, I like a good drum. Teresa brought me a drum. I ought to bring it. She, when she went to Uganda, she brought me, bought me a drum. It might have a part in our little musical, Ron. I'll, I'll bring it today, and we'll just find out. <laughs> but it's not about the drum or the guitar. It's about the message of the song. Is that okay to say that? It's okay to say it, think about it, digest it, right? Um, Another reminder is it's about worshiping the Lord, not man. So that no matter who's leading, we're not worshiping the person. We're worshiping the creator, okay? Well, so he says, come before him with joyful singing. All right. Then... The fourth point that he makes, let me get to this, okay. The fourth point that he makes is verse 3, all right? The fourth imperative. So he says, shout joyfully to the Lord, serve the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful singing. And the fourth one, he says, know. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us. And not we ourselves, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. All right. So the meaning here of the word no means to announce a fact. All right. Announce a fact. All right. Or it can mean to proclaim a truth. Right. That's what the word no here means. So Israel was to know, what were they to know? They were to know that the Lord... Yahweh himself is God. In other words, there is no other God. There's just Yahweh. Okay? So whether you're talking about Egypt or Babylon, which had multiple gods, the message to Israel from the psalmist is, you have one. Everyone else in this culture might have many gods, Israel, But you have one God. And here's what's so special about the knowledge of this truth. Is what he says in the rest of verse 3. Notice what he says. It is he who has made us. Now, while I think that could be a reference to creation, to him creating every one of us as he's talking here to Israel, I think there's a different thought here from the psalmist. I don't think it's so much about God being the creator as much as it's about God separating or creating a nation, making a people, Israel, okay? Israel's been a lot on the news these days, has it not? Absolutely. Isn't it interesting that 
even in our culture in 2023, Israel's that little sliver of land, and it's a little sliver, I've been there, a little sliver of land, how much press that little sliver gets? You ever thought, why in the world does that little sliver get so... That'd be like New Hampshire getting all the news. Why in the world would New Hampshire get any news at all? I don't even know what's in New Hampshire. But Israel's this little place, and yet it's like the size of Texas when it comes to press. You say, how come, Thad? The Lord and his people. That's the bottom line. So, I believe that the psalmist is saying, it is he who has made us, Israel. He formed us. He put us together, not we ourselves. He says, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Now, what's that imagery of? Shepherd and sheep. Well, when you think about the shepherd and the sheep, there are a couple of things we need to think about as it relates to the Lord and Israel. And that is this. Number one, protection. As a shepherd of his people, how many examples could you point to in the Bible, in the Old Testament, where God protected his people? In fact, there would be one little boy with five smooth stones and he would just need one of those stones and he would strike down a giant when no one else was willing to. God used that little boy. By the way, and continued to use him. God protected them as they exited Egypt. All throughout, as they entered the land... I think of the story of Rahab the harlot and how God used Rahab, right? All through, you could go through and you could just list, make a list of how God protected his people. Isn't that good? He's the shepherd. You can depend on his protection. I was thinking about you and me and I thought, well, how many times in our lives as Christians... Has the Lord protected us that we're not even aware of? <laughs> what a great God we serve. Right? Israel says about them, his people and the sheep of his pasture. So not only is the word protector, I think, good there, but provision. We think of, of, of a shepherd, he not only protects, but he provides. And when we think about the Lord, that's what he did for Israel. He protected them and he provided for them. Now, they just loved the manna, didn't they? That the Lord provided. They loved gathering that up. They thought, man, this is just like we had it back in Egypt. They were like, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. No, they were like, yeah, we should have stayed in Egypt with the steak and potatoes. Right? Can you believe that? That they, After they came out of Egypt, they were so discontent and dissatisfied that they would even say that? But the Lord provided for them in spite of themselves. 
Man, the Lord is so good. And he wants, listen, he wanted Israel to remember, hey, you're, you're my people, right? You're my people. And you need to know that I am your God. That's good stuff, guys. You need to know you're my people. I'm your God. And you know what? There's a message for the church. We're his people. He's our God. That'll preach in and of itself. We are his people. We've been grafted in. Can you imagine that? By the grace of the Lord, we've been grafted in. Well, all right. He says no. All right. I think I gave you the definition, but I don't think I gave you the expectation. The expectation was real simple. They were to know that the Lord... ah. That's a the. The Lord, somebody's laughing, is God. We got to work on the stylist. He wanted them to know that the Lord is God. And he spends the rest of that verse pointing out the fact that he was, in fact, their God. All right? All right. Well, let's go to the back of the handout. Hey, we're making great progress, guys. All right, so the fifth thing that he says here in this psalm to Israel in the form of command is enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Well, what picture is that for Israel? You said it. Tabernacle, temple. When I see those two words, what are those two words? When I see gates, right, and I see courts, then what do I think of? The tabernacle or the temple. I think of the dwelling place of the Lord, right? Um, I think you're really going to appreciate this one. The psalmist gives a picture to the nation of Israel of the temple or the tabernacle here, all right? And he tells them, this is the expectation I have for you, that when you enter the gates, all right, when you enter the gates, which was the part of the outer wall that surrounded the temple, okay? When you enter these gates, he says, you're to do so Being thankful. That's pretty good, isn't it? Where's that L? Being thankful. You're to enter those gates with thanksgiving. That's how you're to do that. So when we think about the temple, we think about worship. We think about the dwelling place of the Lord. All right, That's what Israel would have have had in mind here. And so the psalmist gives to them... First of all, the expectation as they entered through the gates that they were to do so being thankful. All right? Then he says not only were they to enter with the attitude of thanksgiving, enter the gates with the attitude of thanksgiving, but they said the courts with praise. Have you ever looked at kind of a model of the temple? Right? So if you went through, like, let's just talk about a couple of them. If you went through the eastern gate, then you would, at the temple, 
then you would first come to the court of women. And then beyond that, you would have the court of the Israelites, okay? So there are different parts of the temple, okay? So that's if you entered through the um, eastern gate. If you entered through the southern gate, you would come to the court of men, right? And so on. So there were gates, there were courts, places for specific people. And so what the picture is for Israel is that when you enter those gates, you're going to do so with the attitude of thanksgiving. And then when you enter the courts, you're to think of praise. That's what the mindset is to be. I think if we were to translate that to modern day 21st century worship, um, we would know this, first of all, that the veil was torn from top to bottom. So we don't have the same problem that Israel had. So we get to enter into the presence of the Lord through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when the veil was torn, it ripped what was a separation between God and man. Isn't that incredible? And so we aren't you glad we didn't live then? But here it is. We have today the privilege, as the writer of Hebrews said, the privilege of boldly entering into the presence of the Lord, right? Boldly entering into the throne of grace. And that happens only because, and this is very important, that happens only because of the Lord Jesus Christ and his blood that was shed for us, which the author of Hebrews reminds his readers about over and over again in chapters 9 and 10. And so the expectation was that they were to enter his gates with thanksgiving, his court, the courts with praise, right? Fifth, or sixth, excuse me. So they were to enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Look again in verse 4. Oh, I didn't give you the, the verse there in 6 and 7. All right, I can give it to you right now. So the, the command to give thanks is found in verse 4. It says, give thanks to him, bless his name. Now, the meaning of the word uh, give thanks is this. It means to confess. Van, we've got to work on this little thing. To confess, all right? That's what it means. So he's saying to Israel, confess, all right? To me, give thanks to me. It means to speak out about, right? So they were to speak out thankfulness to the Lord. So we're going to do that right now, but you're not going to take 40 seconds. I want you to just give me a word or two, fill in the blank. I am thankful to the Lord for someone. Salvation. Salvation. Grace. Faithfulness. His word. Now, let's say it to the Lord. Okay. Lord, I'm thankful to you for salvation and grace and forgiveness and mercy. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes it, it's, it feels like it's like this. We're giving thanks to each other. Does that make sense? I think sometimes it feels like that even in a worship service. But the thanks is to the Lord. And it's authentic and it's sincere. Lord, I am thankful. That's how it sounds. 
Lord, I'm thankful that when I was seven years old, your spirit convicted me of my sin and my need for Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm thankful for that salvation. I didn't understand it then, but I since have come to understand. Lord, I'm thankful for that salvation that I was placed in the Son and I was sealed by the Spirit. I'm thankful, Lord, that man cannot undo that. Man can't change that. I'm thankful, Lord, that you are the author of my salvation. And I am thankful, Lord, that I have the opportunity to confess to others how thankful I am for all that you give to me. That sound good? It's okay to give thanks for other people. I mean, I, I think we should. But wow, maybe the first thought is, and maybe that's what the Lord's doing here with Israel. Hey, give thanks to me. Let, let, let's let the focal point be me. And so, the word means to confess. The idea of it here, in the original, is to, to do that continually. Now, this is what that means on a practical level. This is what it meant for Israel. It's what it means for us today. Because as David mentioned in his reading, or before his reading, when he was talking about you know, giving thanks and grace being at the, at the root of all that, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. So my point about continually is that it's not based on what I'm going through. So when I'm going through a financial crisis, I can give thanks. Why? Because the Lord's in control. Um, when I'm having hardship with my children or with my teenagers, or I'm having a hardship in my family, or there are hurt feelings, Lord, you know what? I can give thanks to you and you alone just because of who you are. I think it's this particular quote. Yeah, it is. Couldn't find the person who wrote this. But it says, thank you, Lord, for pardoning my sin and giving me a new life. Isn't that good? Young people, listen to me. You're going to come to appreciate the new life as you get older. Because you're going to find out in this life, there's no one or nothing that satisfies completely outside of the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for pardoning my sin and giving me a new life. What a great pleasure and privilege to be called your own. You know, I can't help but always think about that song. I'm so glad I'm a part of what the family of God. I'm not going to break out in song, but I want to. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. We can't say that or sing that enough. So twice in these short few verses does he talk about being thankful or having that attitude of thanksgiving. Well, last one. So you made it. Last one. Look at verse 4. He says, give thanks to him, bless his name. Now, man, I'm going to tell you right now. Get excited about this word. This is an incredible word. 
when you look at that, some of you might have in your translations, praise his name. Bless his name. And that's right. But oh my goodness. Do you know what that word means? It means to bend the knee, physically bend the knee toward God. So you want satisfaction, Israel? You bend the knee toward me. No matter what's going on, you bend your knee toward me. Well, I don't think that that instruction's off for us. Do you? I think it's important that we would bend the knee. So the idea of the word bless is to bend the knee. You know, when I think about it, the first thought that came to my mind when I think about bending the knee, if I'm bending the knee, my knee is pointing towards someone. Oh, this makes sense to me. If, I, if I'm bending my knee, and there's Phil Hansen right there. I'm bending it toward him. So when I bend my knee, I am honoring the Lord who made me and saved me and sustains me. And so the idea here for Israel was to bend the knee toward the Lord. All right. Now notice um, the expectation. The expectation was to bend the knee confirming or confessing, excuse me, that the Lord, right, that the Lord alone was worthy of praise. That's the idea of the phrase. The Lord alone worthy of praise. No one else is worthy of praise or honor or glory besides the Lord himself. I like what Harry Ironside said about this. The idea of bending the knee or praising the Lord. He says, we would worry less if we praised him more. <laughs> That's pretty good. I thought that was really good. Sometimes I chuckle when I'm reading these things in my office. I'm like, well, I wish somebody had told me that years ago. We would worry less if we praised him more. Thanksgiving is the enemy of discontent and dissatisfaction. <laughs> so Israel had some things they needed to remember. This particular instruction that he gives to them last to bend the knee was the mind that they were bending the knee toward the one who alone was God, who alone had made them, who alone had chosen them. This is really awesome. And so as I was thinking about that, bending the knee, um, I started searching for illustrations on bending the knee. You say, Thad, how do you find these illustrations? Search. And so as I was searching for an illustration on bending the knee, I found one that I thought was really awesome. There were these three climbers, and they were in the Alps. The front, the guy leading, had some experience climbing the Alps. Um, the guy in the middle had never climbed the Alps. But the guy behind, the, the, the guy in the, in the back, he was, he was the chief, so to speak. He had the most experience. So they're climbing the Alps. They're about to, to, the, to the top in the particular spot they were in. And the guy in the front said, hey, let's switch spots. So he tells the guy that had never been up, he said, let's switch spots because I want you to see this magnificent view. 
I want you to be the first to see it. And so they switch spots. And so when they switch spots, that climber in the front stood up. And he was going to stand to reach toward the ledge, toward the top. And the chief, who was the guy with the most experience, took that man and threw him on his knees. And he said to him, the only way to approach the top of this mountain is on your knees. Because of the gale force winds that would come across. The only way to approach the top is on your knees. I thought that's pretty good. Because the way that we should approach the top, which is the Lord, is on our knees. Now, it might not be physically on our knees, but in our heart, it's on our knees as we confess who the Lord God is. Well, that's Psalm 100. Let me give you two take-homes and the third one you can work on this afternoon. Worship should not be a part of our life, but our life. And the second one is worship is simply about the Lord. That's about all I've got for you today. So you don't have to leave this place singing the song of the Rolling Stones. I can't get no satisfaction. Our satisfaction, just as Israel's, would come in the person of the Lord. All right, let's pray. Well, Lord, that was a lot to consider this morning. Um, thank you that you gave Israel this instruction because we have it. And it's something we can take with us and, and we can use in our own lives. And um, Lord, we uh, acknowledge right now this morning you're the only one worthy of worship. I pray as we consider these things you had for Israel that we would consider how these things should look in our own lives. I think it's a pretty good formula for being satisfied. Thank you at the end of that, at the end of all that, all that instruction, it's just simply about you. Uh, help us to consider that as we go out into our world that people would know that we are separated to you and you alone. And I make my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, let's just take this time. Let's boast about the Lord, okay? I think right after a sermon like that or, or a message like that, we need to boast in the Lord. Let's do it. Let's all stand and let's sing, All My Boasts is in Jesus. What wonder of wonders, what love is this, that Christ would die for me? His goodness, His merit, His righteousness, the sinner's only plea. O foolish pride, He crucified, the work is finished. All my boast is in Jesus, all my hope is His love, and I will glory forever in what the has done now fully forgiven my life is filled with graces undeserved for mercy 
that flow down the sacred hill that praises now return. Rise up, my soul, and bless the Lord who else is worthy. All my work is in Jesus. All my hope is His love. And I will glory forever in what the cross has done. Oh, praise the psalm closes if there are reasons that you can think of to bless the name of the Lord or if there are no reasons that you think of which I can't even imagine that um, he gives us two notice the way it wraps up in verse 5 he says bless his name and that word for is because because the Lord is good Lord is good what? All the time. And his loving kindness is everlasting. And his faithfulness to all generations. That's a great way to close, isn't it? Because as we think about what God told Israel, as they would bless his name, that was the command. We think about Israel was to think about the love and the faithfulness of the Lord. And I don't think there's anything greater that we could do today 
think about the love and the faithfulness of the Lord to his church. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, thank you. We close by just simply thanking you, Lord, for your love and your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You are dismissed.